0: We are in a series, if you uh, haven't been with us, we're in a series called Get Back to Flourishing, and we're looking at the four things that are going on in our lives that help us to flourish. Uh, and as we get in, today we're going to talk about authenticity, but I want to pause here and say, are there any Dodger fans in the house today or online? Any Dodger fans? Any Mariners fans? No. All right, good. Well, I'm glad to see somebody. Any Major League Baseball fans? Anybody? All right, there we go. All right. So just checking. But the Dodgers lost last night. They're out. We don't care. We're in Seattle. Uh, If you're not in Seattle online, sorry. Uh, If you're in L.A. somewhere, sorry. So, um, but the Dodgers are out. Uh, But I want to share a little bit of story, a Major League Baseball story, is uh, actually this past spring, my daughter got married. So we traveled back to Baltimore, Maryland, where the wedding was. And uh, we were there the first week baseball, opening week of baseball. We went to an Orioles game. The Orioles were playing the Mariners. The Mariners won, by the way, for you Mariners fans, that particular game. Uh, sorry, the season didn't end the same way. But the Mariners beat the Orioles, and then we were there. We were there on a day when they were celebrating the contributions of a Major League Baseball player named Jackie Robinson. A movie's been made about his life called uh, 42. His number was 42. In fact, there's a, I think we have a picture of us there outside the stadium that day because they were celebrating uh, his uh, legacy and his contribution to Major League Baseball. He was a Baltimore Oriole for the last two years of his Major League Baseball career. And so that's why they were recognizing him in April. Because it was April, it was April 15th of 1947 when Jackie Robinson integrated Major League Baseball, was the first black player to play for what was then... Do you know who he played for? The Brooklyn Dodgers. Not the L.A. Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now, I'm going to give you the backstory to how he got there. Now, Jackie Robinson was the first uh, African-American black player to move into Major League Baseball, and so... When he before all this was happened in 1947, April 15th was also tax day, probably. But they came. He came and he, he came to New York City and he met with the executive of the Brooklyn Dodgers. His name was Branch Rickey. Uh, uh, and Branch Rickey and he sat down for three hours in a meeting, trying to come to a negotiate to negotiate and to make a decision on his of uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers bringing Jackie Robinson on the team. Now, they knew what was at stake here. They knew the tensions in society at that time and what this meant for the Brooklyn Dodgers, what this meant for Jackie Robinson, what this, what this was going to happen. And so they came in this meeting with a lot of anxiety, a lot of tension, and uh, they were both evidently strong-willed people, both of them strong-willed, and uh, so they, these two strong wills came together at a very tense time in, uh, in Major League Baseball history. And in that meeting, they were kind of came, you know, they're trying to negotiate, and they're trying to also kind of figure each other out. And in that conversation, though, here's what happened. What broke the ice, what brought the walls down between the two of them and led to the decision was that they both were Methodists. They were both people of faith. And they began to get to know each other on the shared idea that they were both people of faith, that they were, had been, both been praying about this. And they were asking God, "What is it God is calling us to do?" They both acknowledged in later interviews that they spent a lot of, both of them spent time in deep prayer and on their knees uh, praying about this. Uh, Branch Ricky actually would not attend baseball games on Sundays. Think about that. He was the executive of Brooklyn Dodgeson. and if there was a Sunday game, he didn't go because of his uh, belief, his Methodist belief. Uh, Jackie Robinson also prayed. And Jackie talked about how many times he was on his knees praying that God would give him the strength, the strength to endure what he had to endure as the first black baseball player in the major league. Uh, Branch Rickey also uh, talked about prayer and he would go off by himself and silently prayer because his fear was around race riots in New York City. So he was afraid that what they were doing would create riots in the streets of the city. And so this was a very tense moment, but it's interesting that both... Men went back to their faith in this moment, and both men went to God in this moment, and both men shared this common bond. So I want you to think about this, how their faith, their shared faith actually broke down walls that existed between them. But no matter what was happening in that room and that decision, they knew what they were walking into was going to be a lot of problems, right? And I can't even imagine what Jackie Robinson endured. There's no way I could imagine what he endured when he came into Major League Baseball. But think about this. There's something that we actually do even today that prevents us from being authentic. And that is something that psychologists call identity demands. So this is where we in psychologists, say that there are demands placed on our identity as people. So take Jackie Robinson for for example. When he came into Major League Baseball, he was was not catering to the identity demands of of that day's society. He He was not caring. He was stepping out of the box that society had created for him, the identity demands that they would put on him, right? And he was stepping out of that, and that took strength and that took courage to do that, right? And so But there are constantly always identity demands, and that's what creates stress in our lives. And that's also what prevents us from being authentic selves, our authentic selves. At the same time, when we're not allowed to be our authentic selves, we turn towards something that Jesus talked about with the Pharisees called hypocrisy. That's the other side of it. If we can't be authentic, we'll end up being hypocrites. And so that's what's going on here in this situation and these identity demands. Now you and I can think about a historical figure like Jack Robinson, but what about us today? Do we ever place identity demands on somebody else, even today? Do we ever try and put people in a box that we have for them rather than who God created them to be? So think about this. Have you as a parent, if those of you are a parent or those of you who are children, have your parents ever said to you, I wish you were more like your sister? Or brother. Have you ever said that? Or thought that? (laughs) Right? That's an identity demand. Or how many times, even in relationships, we might say to one another, I wish you were more like this. Fill in the blank. That could be an identity demand. That's an expectation we have for the other person, right? And then uh, that can happen in marriage, relationships. It can happen in families. I think it even happens between pastors and congregations. Sometimes pastors come to the congregations and I I wish you were more like the church down the street or sometimes people in the pews say to pastors I wish you were more like whatever your favorite pastor is Billy Graham I actually had someone come to me one time and said why can't you be more like Bill Hybels I want to go back to them today and go where's Bill Hybels today (laughs) what's going on with Bill Hybels today that's why I'm not like Bill Hybels but well, we're all called to be who God created us to be, not who someone else wants us to be. Does that make sense? And then in this passage, we're going to look at David. Does the Bible have anything to say about this authenticity? Uh, again, we see this. This is something that we talk. We use this word authenticity today in psychological terms in today's world. But Jesus already talked about this two thousand years ago, and he, the people he was talking to were his disciples. And so I'm going to read a passage out of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to read it and look at it together out of the message version. But I want you to notice what Jesus does. The crowds are coming in on Jesus here in this moment. And he's becoming popular, right? And people are coming to him and surrounding him, and and their crowds are coming around. But in the midst of the crowd, he talks to his disciples. He kind of has a sidebar conversation with them. And so let's take a look at Luke chapter 12 Verse, uh, verses 1 to 7. I'm reading out of a version of the Bible called the Message Version. It says this, "...by this time the crowd, unwieldy and stepping on each other's toes, numbered into the thousands. But Jesus' primary concern was his disciples. He said to them, watch yourselves carefully so you don't get contaminated with the Pharisee yeast, Pharisee phoniness. You can't keep your true self hidden forever." Before long, you'll be exposed. You can't hide behind a religious mask forever. Sooner or later, the mask will slip and your true face will be known. You can't whisper one thing in private and preach the opposite in public. The day is coming when those whispers will be repeated all over town. I'm speaking to you as dear friends. Don't be bluffed into silence or insincerity by the threats of religious bullies. True, they can kill you, but then what can they do? There's nothing they can do to your soul your core being, save your fear for God who holds your entire life, body, and soul in his hands. What's the price of two or three pet canaries? Some loose change, right? But God never overlooks a single one, and he pays even greater attention to you down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. So don't be intimidated by all this bully talk. You're worth more than a million canaries. It's strange when we listen to Jesus talking, one, he's pointing out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He's saying they're not being authentic. They're not being true people, right? They're, they're phonies. And then he goes on and he gives this teaching about fearing God and our souls, which alludes to the judgment of God, that God will judge us for who we are, that we can't put, pretend to be somebody else before God, right? All the truth about who we are will come out the good and the bad and the ugly will come out. But notice that then he says one more thing. I think it's interesting that Jesus then says, you're worth more than a million canaries. You have worth. Did you find that strange when you listen to that? I found it a little strange that Jesus would talk about uh, fear God and then in the next sentence say, you're worth a lot. (laughs) You're worth more than you can imagine. You're valued by God. You matter to God. You're loved by God. And so, I think that he's pairing these two teachings together for a reason. That really, our fear of God is important, but know that, that what happens to that fear when we know we're truly loved as we are, right? There is no fear in love, for perfect love drives out fear. That God loves us perfectly, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. But this is interesting, because when you go to the idea of authenticity, here's what authenticity is authenticity is a combination of these two things. Self-integrity, being who God called us and created us to be and called us to be, which means not only who we are today, but who we're to become and who God is calling us to be in the future. That's self-integrity. And dignity, that's our worth, that's our value. It's interesting that Jesus talks about the worth of our souls and that our souls need to come before God honestly and with, with integrity. Notice that Jesus is talking about authenticity, that there's this this balance uh, between these two things that lead to authenticity. And so to be able to live, so let's unpack these two things, self-integrity first of all. Self-integrity is the ability for us to live in accordance with our true selves and express ourselves in everyday situations. So that's authenticity. That's what authenticity looks like. And not giving in to the identity demands of others to be somebody we're not, which is what the Pharisees were constantly doing and trying to do to other people, put people in this religious expectation box that, that not everybody fits in. And so scientists have regarded authenticity as a basic human need, right? And again, Let's keep in mind, though, that that's, God, we are created, but we're also created with flaws and brokenness and sin in our lives. So authenticity is also about being aware and, and saying, yeah, I'm, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. There's still some work God needs to do on me. That's also a part of authenticity. It's not just, I, I, I have to, I'm just to concede to even my dark side, right? That's not what we're talking about. But what we're talking about is just this idea that we can be ourselves because I think when we are authentically ourselves, then we can also be who God is calling us to be rather than trying to navigate in the expectations and demands of other people. So I think this is actually where fear of God comes in and helps us. Because I not only fear God for the way God created me and who God calls me to be, but I also fear God when it comes to the brokenness in my life and, and God wanting to heal those broken places and transform those broken places. That's authenticity. The other thing about authenticity is that when we are authentic, people who are truly authentic, here's the thing. They're, they have what they call quiet egos. Their egos are quieted down. They're quieter. And they're, less, they're more focused, able to focus on other people and the needs of others. Now, why is that? Because they're not consumed with trying to manage their own ego, self-image, right? Like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were constantly trying to keep up with the crowd and trying to give in to the popular demands of society, right? And they were trying to be the popular ones, the ones that were holier than everybody else. And they were fell into this trap, what Jesus calls the yeast of the Pharisees, the phoniness, the the lack of authenticity, the hypocrisy that was going on. And to be a hypocrite is simply to act as though you're somebody you're not, to not be true uh, to to who you are, right? And so that's part of hypocrisy. And then at the same time, what Jesus is encouraging us is that we can bring our true selves before God and God still says we have worth, right? We'll unpack the dignity side too. But true self-knowledge leads us actually to open ourselves up to love other people. It frees us to love others because we're not so busy trying to hide our true selves. Now, I can remember adolescence. Anybody remember adolescence here? Anybody in adolescence? Uh, adolescence is a hard time of life. Let's just, can I get an amen? Can I get a witness here? Anybody with me on this? It's hard. And the reason that adolescence is hard is because we're actually going through a process called identity cri- an identity crisis is what it's called. What we're doing in adolescence is we're trying to figure out who God created us to be. And then there are all these other people saying, I want you to be somebody other than God who God created you to be. I think about this in high school in terms of where I grew up and went to high school. Uh, there was the the popular kids and the not popular kids. Anybody have a high school like that? Anybody else? Was it like that in your high school? Sorta. If it wasn't good. In my high school, if you weren't a football player or a cheerleader, you were not good enough. Think about that. So I remember, uh, you know, I wasn't a football player and I wasn't a cheerleader. Uh, I wasn't either of those things, and so I was just kind of like in the mi- in the mix, right, and um, I remember I had a crush on this girl in high school, and, uh, and you know, we had lockers not too far from each other, so we talked to each other in the hall, and we had a good relationship, and she, you know, and so I kind of had this crush on her, and I'll never forget the day I walked into school to, to my locker, and I looked down, and she was at her locker, and she had the the foot, she was wearing a football jersey of the quarterback of the football team, which was a sign that they were together, right? And I remember just being crushed in this moment. Like, I, how, I, 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 there's no way, I, I, that's when I gave up my crush, basically, because I knew I couldn't compete with the popular kids. I knew I couldn't compete with the quarterback of the football team. And so I just gave up on that. And, um, and so that's the thing. And so here in this high school adolescent play, I was struggling all the time with, do I fit in? And, and the identity demand was for me, even in a lesson, was You have to be a, a, a football player, right? If you're not a football player, you're, you're not cool. You're not good. You're not good enough, right? So then it was also at about that time that I encountered another group of people called Campus Life. Campus Life, also known as Youth for Christ. They had a club for our high school, and I would go there, and that's the place... I found people who said, we're going to love you just the way you are. We're going to accept you the way you are. And we believe that God loves you and wants you to be in relationship with him and that he can help you be the person that God called you to be. Wow, that's pretty refreshing, isn't it? To be accepted, to be loved, to be, to be accepted where you are, but also to be encouraged to live into who God calls you to be and who God invites us to be, right? And so I found a different community there where I could be what? Authentic. (laughs) I could be true to myself more because all these identity demands weren't on me. So that's self-integrity. That's what self-integrity is. The second part of this is dignity. Dignity is having worth and value, innate worth and value that's honored and respected regardless, right? So think about that, right? So think about your identities. Think about all the identities you and I carry around. So we all have them. And our identities are actually very complex and they're layered and they're nuanced, right? If you really think about it. So this is, I'm taking something very complex, but I wanna simplify it for us in a moment. So I want you to think about all your identities. So for me, for example, I'm I'm a father, A dad, I'm a brother, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, uh, and I can name off others. So you can do the same thing in your own head. Like, what are all your identities that you connect with that identify you? And those are the identities. And then what are the identity demands that come with those? Think about that. Think about the expectations that other people place on you because of those identities. Now, I want you to take a moment and let go of all of them. Just strip them all away for a moment. What if you weren't any of those things? What if you weren't dependent upon any of those identities? If you took all those identities away, if you stripped them all away, here's the question, would you still be valuable and worth something? Is your worth connected to those identities Or is your worth connected to your relationship with God who says you're worth more than a million canaries? You see, what Jesus is saying is your worth is not tied up. That even if you strip away all your identities, if you let go all of them, you still and I still matter to God. We still have worth and inherent value. And one of the problems in today's society is that we're losing this, uh, this, this belief. That the further we... remove God from our society and from our our, our, what's going on our lives we lose this inherent worth idea that comes from God and so if you get rid of God where does our worth come from where do you get your worth if not from God then it has to do with how you conjure up your own worth right in your own stuff in your own identities And so ultimately, isn't that freeing to know that you have worth regardless of your identity? I think that's good news. I don't know about you. If it's not good news, then let's talk about it. Because it is. This is good. Because here's the thing. What we know about dignity is this is what destroys it. Here are some things that destroy our dignity. Rejection. Incivility ostracizing people isolation isolating them being intentionally ignored unkind looks and gestures verbal snipes emails being belittled marginalized disrespected all these things whether they're whether they're actual words or nonverbals they do hurt our dignity they hurt our worth and if we're going to depend upon other people to establish our worth rather than God, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. (laughs) Because who hasn't experienced any of that? Has anybody not experienced any of those things? And where does our worth come from? And where is our worth secure? Because really, authenticity means having a secure self-worth rather than a fragile self-worth. Here's a a definition of a fragile self-worth. Uh, it says this, this is out of the uh, Mendoza College of Business at Notre Dame, uh, who's doing research on this idea of flourishing. It says this, fragile self-worth, contingent as it is on the approval of others and on personal achievements, waxes and wanes. Researchers have found that seeking to boost our self-esteem can actually undermine it because we create a veneer of higher fragile self-worth rather than a deeper core of balanced, secure self-worth. Do you see that? See, hear that word veneer? Isn't that what Jesus was saying in Luke? <laughs> Isn't that what he was talking about? That don't fall into this trap, don't give in to the yeast of the Pharisees that has. they have this fragile self-worth and they're putting on this phoniness and this veneer and they're pretending to be somebody they're not, which is a trap of religion too, right? All of us in religion. This is what Jesus is talking about. See, the the goal of the Christian life is actually to align our values and our lives with God. In who God created us to be and who God calls us to be. I love that God allows us to do that. So, what do we need to be authentic? I mean, we've talked about what authenticity is. But what do we need to be that way? What do we need? It's interesting that what the research shows is that we need relationships that allow us to do that. We actually need to be in community with other people. And there are actually four types of relationships that we need for authenticity to work. And when we're talking about authenticity, we're talking about relationships that don't place more identity stress on us and identity demands on us, but relationships that allow us to be authentic. Does that make sense? So not the expectation-driven relationships, well, you have to do this or you have to do that, but it's more the, these are the people that will allow us and love us regardless uh, of, of the truth about ourselves, whether they're good or bad. So the first set of relationships are family and friends. Now, we know that even our family and friends can become the people who put those identity demands on us, but in reality, we actually need family. One of the beautiful things, hopefully, about family uh, is that they still are, accept us even despite our flaws and our brokenness. And sometimes our families see that brokenness more than anybody else, and they may not like it, but they still love us. Is that good news? Right? We need people that still love us even when we're bro- in our brokenness, right? And that's the way that God loves us in our brokenness, right? So, family and friends that allow ourselves to be ourselves around them, we can kind of cut loose with them, we can crack jokes with them, they're not gonna judge us. And it's interesting because people. With a, lo- with a high self-worth are less judgmental and less prejudiced than people of fragile self-worth. Because what happens in fragility, when our self-worth is fragile, we tend to compare ourselves more to others. That's part of the trap. Compare and then put in boxes and expectations. And then we also become more judgmental when our, fra- our self-worth is fragile. So having a secure self-worth actually helps us be more accepting and valuing of other people in a way that I think God is that way. Number two is our faith community. We actually need faith community as Christians and as people who are connected to God because we need that me- to be reminded of that message that God does value us and we are worth something, worth a tremendous amount in God's eyes, and that God is calling us to be uh, someone uh, to live into who God called us to be. So we actually need other people In community that are doing the same thing. As we've mentioned before here, being a Christian, following God, being a follower of Jesus is not a solitaire sport. It's not a solitaire endeavor. It is a community effort. We do this with others, and we need other people with similar values moving in a similar direction in life to go with us. We have to actually be in community together to do this, and so that's important. The, the balancing act is how do we do that with each other without imposing identity demands on other people? That's the trick, I think, for us in the church. That, not the trick, but trick-or-treat. Not the trick-or-treat, but you get what I'm saying. Like, that's the, that's the balance we have to find. Number three is mentors, people who we look to that help us to see the possibility of who we can become. Someone that we admire, that, we, that inspires us, that we can say, hey, I want to be more like them And we need people like that in our lives that help us to not just be who we are today, but help us to become who God is calling us to be into the future. So we actually need mentors to help us with that. And then the fourth thing is peers. We need people who understand us. Those are our peers. So, for example, if you're in a profession uh, or a career, uh, like let's say you're a lawyer or a doctor, right? You actually need other lawyers like-minded lawyers that you have peer relationships with that understand what you're dealing with because not everybody understands what it's like to be a lawyer. Not everybody understands what it's like to be a pastor. Not everybody understands what it's like to be a doctor or a a social worker or whatever that uh, profession is. So we need people like us that understand the context that we're in and get what we're going through. So we need that to help us be authentic because they have the same shared experience. So that's good. So those are the relationships we need for authenticity. It's interesting because the pro- Proverbs, a book of wisdom, encourages us this way. I want to share with you 11, uh, Proverbs 11.25. It says this, Generous persons will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. We need people like that. We need people that will refresh us with both the worth and dignity that God brings, and the call of God, and the call to fear God at the same time. We need people that refresh us with both truth and grace in our lives. We need both those things. it's interesting that that's the way Jesus comes to us, both with truth and grace. So here's an important question I know that everybody's wrestling with this week. What are you going to be for Halloween? What are you going to be for Halloween? Anybody know? I'm going to be the Mandalorian, by the way, so nobody else can be the Mandalorian. I know somebody else here is going to be the Mandalorian for a trunk or treat next week. Uh, The church, I I realize the church has a few hang-ups about Halloween, and that's because the traditions of Halloween actually come out of Celtic pagan religion uh, from centuries ago, and uh, I could go into all the background around that, but actually the church took on uh, Halloween and tried to redeem it, I think, back in the 7th century, and they introduced uh, All Saints' Day, and they tried to redeem uh, Halloween from the from the pagan culture around them. And so we, and even then, uh, the church would uh, hold bonfires and go dress up as saints. Interestingly enough, or, or famous biblical people or religious people, and they would put on masks and pretend to be somebody that they weren't. Right, which is really what Halloween's about, right? I mean, it's about getting a chance to pretend to be somebody we may. Uh, that we can kind of hide behind a mask. The, the whole tradition of trick-or-treat comes from this idea because you could hide behind a mask and go play a trick on somebody and they wouldn't know who it was. And so that's where that tradition came up with. And so this is a way to hide who we are, right? This is something we wrestle with. So interesting that in the passage today, Jesus. what did Jesus say in the passage today? He said, you can't hide behind a religious mask forever, sooner or later the mask will slip and your true face will be known. And really, and this is good news for us actually, that when it comes to God, it doesn't matter what mask you try to put on, God's going to see right through it. Like God knows you Intimately, God knows you and me like everything about us the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the dark. And God says, You're still loved. You're still worth my attention. I think that's good news from God. At the same time, God is saying to us, Hey, be who I've called you to be, become the person that I'm asking you to be. Don't just settle. For everything. And I think that's part of what God is saying is that no matter what you're, you can just throw away the mask, right? You don't have to keep hiding behind this religious mask with God. You can throw it away and allow God to let you be who you are and love you as you are and call you in that love. So here's some questions for us as we wrap up today. For groups or if you're joining us online, Here's some questions to reflect on today. Number one, how would you rate your self worth on a scale from one to 10? And if you're, you could also have a just conversation with somebody else today about these if you want to. Number two, how would you rate your self integrity on a scale from one to 10? So again, self integrity and self worth or, or dignity, these two things of authenticity, how would you rate them today? Where are you at? Number three, what relationships do you have in life that can help you increase either of these scores or ratings that you've given yourself? Like, where are the relationships? Who are the people in your life that you can go to and be yourself with and also is going to encourage you to become the person God's calling you to be? And then number four, what what could you do to place your life in God's hands and see yourself through God's eyes? Place yourself in God's hands, fear God, and then see yourself through God's eyes, your worth. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that we can place ourselves in your hands. We can bring our whole selves to you today. And we come to this table of communion today and we bring our true selves, our authentic selves to you today. And we realize and acknowledge that we have limits, we have imperfections, we have flaws, we have brokenness, we have trauma, we have darkness, we have shadow, we have sin. We have harmed others, we may be even harmed ourselves. So we come to you and we confess because we can bring our true selves to you today the beautiful spots of our lives and the bright spots of our days and the bright, good things of us as well as the things that we are not happy happy about and we're trying to hide from everybody else. But God, thank you that you see right through. That everything we're trying to hide from other people, God, you know it as well. And so we confess that we need your grace. We need your forgiveness. And we also come to this table to say thank you, thank you for sending Jesus, that you didn't let those things about us stop you from loving us, that you came and laid down your life, your son's life for us, to redeem us, to restore us, to renew us, to help us to become the people that you call us to be. So we're thankful today at this table for your forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ, the one who calls us and says, you are worth it. You're worth going to a cross for. You're worth dying for because you matter. So thank you, God, that you love us this way, that you say we are worthy. And so, Lord, as we come to this table today, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us? Pour out your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they may truly be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world today would you pour out your spirit on us and on these on this table today we pray and we pray what you have taught us to pray that prayer you taught your disciples our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not to temptation